0: not sure if we'll get through all this today, but we'll we'll try it. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 5. We've seen God's hand beginning to work in this situation where He... The foreknowledge of God is something quite amazing. He obviously knew that the the Jews were going to be persecuted and and put to a place where there would be total genocide that was brought upon them um, here in Persia. And we find that this young woman, this young woman Esther, was chosen to be a channel for the deliverance of God's people in Persia at the time, not just in Persia but in the whole of the Persian Empire Xerxes was the king as we remember that Vashti the queen was, was dethroned because she failed to obey the king's command and Esther was put in her place we find that Mordecai who was Esther's cousin, he was looking after her and she was taken by force into the king's harem and she was appointed to be queen and always as I look at this I think how she must have felt how Mordecai must have felt that you know our lives are falling apart here Esther's gone and and what on earth's going on and Lord where are you and, and yet we see, we can look back and see God's hand in all this, we don't see it in our own lives, we don't see the future we're not clairvoyance or anything like that or or demonically inspired or whatever and and sometimes we look at the situations in our life and we really think God where are you but Mordecai had informed Esther of a plot against the king's life and and Esther had informed the king and the king had been rescued from it and this guy Haman had turned up who would appear may have taken some of the credit for the for the the thwarting of the plan against the king and he was elevated to to an exalted position but Mordecai the Jew would not bow down to him because he was an Amalekite because Mordecai knew there was something basically flawed in the man's soul and so Haman had gone to the king and asked him to put an edict out for the destruction not only of Mordecai but of all his people and the king had readily accepted it and so Mordecai had sent a message to Esther and said you need to go in there and talk to the king you need to plead on behalf of your people otherwise we're all going to be destroyed and Esther quite naturally said wait a minute I can't just go into the king I mean this is my life on the line here Uh, if you appeared before the king he was so paranoid about people who who were not invited if if you appeared before the king the chances are he would be put to death but she asked people to fast for her She asked Mordecai and his friends and she even asked her her close associates within the Persian household to fast for her. And so the time came after three days of fasting. We start at chapter 5 here. On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the, sep- the, the scepter. It's quite possible here just the same way as Esther was created queen because she appeared before the king and, and if you remember Bitha the, the, the eunuch who had advised uh, Esther he told her what the king liked and what the king didn't like so when she put on royal robes here she would be she would be at least attractive to the king she hadn't seen the king for 30 days but she would at least be attractive to the king you know and it always reminds me of, of us that one day that we'll stand in royal robes before the king and he'll hold out his scepter to us and say come in good and faithful servant I mean I know there's a, this is a kind of bad king but there's an analogy there that you can't just appear before the king in any old grubby clothes you've got to have that royal robe that Christ has won for you on Calvary's cross that's what they're going to look for that that God Almighty is going to look at you and see Jesus in you that royal robe that he has put on you and you'll be acceptable to him but anyway here we are with Esther she takes the first baby steps of faith this step of faith this you know I'm quite sure although we've got no mention of prayer here I've said before that that there's been a lot of prayer going in here Mordecai and Esther and, and many of the Jews would all be praying and fasting for this situation and she takes the first baby steps of faith. It took courage. It took courage for Esther to stand there because she knew the rules. If you stand there and the king was in a bad mood, you were dead. And Xerxes, when you go back to Queen Vashti, had not a very good reputation with his queens. You know, if uh, they stepped out of line, they were gone. Then the king asked at verse 3, What is it Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given to you. It was quite a common way of putting things like that. It's a kind of proverbial way of things, you know. I'll give you anything. And really at the end of the day we don't have that ability to give it anything. You know. So the king's basically saying to Esther, If you have a request, make it. And if it's within my gift to give you, I'll give you it. Basically that's what he was trying to say if it pleases the king replied Esther at verse 4 let the king together with Haman come to a banquet today that I have prepared for him bring Haman at once the king said so that we may do what Esther asks so the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared so Esther showed a bit of wisdom here she doesn't just blurt out a request when she made her accusation she wanted the man whom she was accusing to be there When she made her point about the Jewish people and the way Haman was behaving towards them, she wanted him to be there. And it's something that we as Christians have to take courage in as well. If we have issues with someone, it's best to do it face to face. In love. Prayerfully do it. And when I say face to face, I don't mean Facebook to Facebook. I mean face to face. I mean eye to eye, standing toe to toe with somebody and saying, "I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but we need to sort it out. I'm always reminded of the old uh, the old rule that the, the covenanters in this area used to have, that if two of them had a dispute between them, they were down on their knees facing each other, praying to God until they could sorted. That was the way, even although it might have been a difficult dispute, that was the way they sorted it. And, and really, Esther shows some wisdom here. And bringing Haman into the situation. She doesn't just go and blurt it to the king. But she's, you know, if if we want this sorted, we need the man here. And of course, she made the decision to do that only after fasting and prayer. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Don't go feet first into an issue without first taking it to the Lord in prayer. Without first getting our own hearts right. So that we can at least offer a loving heart. To someone who's maybe offended us or stood against us. Or maybe even is threatening our life. So we we'll have to be careful of that. And in verse 6, as they were drinking wine. They seem to be very good at that in the Persian kingdom. They, were, uh, they never talk about eating food at these feasts. It always seems to be drinking wine. The king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition that will be given you? And what is your request even up to half the kingdom it will be granted? and Esther replied my petition and my request is this and I'm sure the king and Haman must have been sitting there on tenterhooks wondering what was coming next if the king regards me with favour and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them then I will answer the king's question so Esther puts off the request for one more day which must have really intrigued the king and Haman I mean here's Haman who has been elevated to a a strong position by the king and now the Queen of Persia has only invited the king and him to this banquet. I mean if he was a bowhead before what is this going to make him? You know they'd have to widen the palace doors to get him in. But who knows why why Esther's silent? But the words just wouldn't come. And the words wouldn't come because it was not in God's plan for the words to come at this point in time Esther may have stumbled and stuttered, she said come back tomorrow and I'll tell you what it's all about so I want to encourage you this morning, how do we feel when the words don't come do we feel like Esther maybe she felt a failure that she went out for that banquet and thought I've missed my chance I've missed my opportunity, I had them both there together who knows what tomorrow will bring I had them both there together and I blew it God will not be thwarted he'll not be put aside his plan will not be deviated from don't worry if you miss an opportunity just accept that that's the way God has made you and, and say well the next time I get the opportunity Lord I'll take it I won't let it pass and I'm not giving you an opt out card or a get out of jail free card I'm just saying to you don't beat yourself up Esther, I'm sure, may may well have left this place and thought, oh, I've let Mordecai down, I've let myself down, I've let the whole people down. But as as we're about to see, this was all part of God's plan. And maybe even her friends thought that she had failed because they didn't know what was going to happen. We know she didn't fail because we've read the end. But this, in real time, Esther was stuck with a situation where rather than speak up she stayed silent you know I'm always reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 you know there's a time to live and a time to die it says in there as well that there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet and sometimes when people are given us grief that's the time to be quiet and then again there's a time to speak when when the tirade has come against you there's a time to, to bring that voice forward because in Proverbs, God says that a quiet word turns back anger. If you want to get riled the same as your enemies, then all you'll end up with is a fight. If you want to take a quiet word and just say, the Lord bless you and keep you, that'll inflame your enemies even more and then you can just turn and walk away. So the right time, a time you speak and a time to silence, a time to live and a time to die a time to pluck and a time to throw away a time to keep and a time to to live and a time to die the right time in all these things is God's time when God puts his hand in a situation and you being the children of God, you who know him as Lord and Saviour, you being the children of God, you know that God's time is the right time and so Haman went out verse 9 that day happy and in high spirits I'm sure he did but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence he was filled with rage against Mordecai nevertheless Haman restrained himself and went home Haman controls his anger here he controls his hatred miserable Haman he's honoured at the highest level he's honoured by the king and queen of Persia So that he's the only one at a banquet with the king and queen of Persia. But one man's disapproval wrecks his whole soul. Just how empty are the rewards of this world. That you desire that acceptance so much that it twists and contorts your soul into hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness irrespective of whether we like it or not there's a great desire within us all to be accepted but that can only be fulfilled in Jesus the people who are running around in this world with the bad attitudes, killing each other there's this great desire for acceptance in their lives we need God we were made in the image of God we were created by God we were created in His image and so in some measure, we, we adopt some of his behavioural habits. We have become great creators. That's something that you got from your Father in heaven. There's nothing, there's no problem in this world that man is unable to solve. We can make a machine to do anything, we can make a computer to do anything, and yet the only thing we can't do is to give peace and quiet to a man's soul all the money in the world all the acclamation in the world all the the, the worship of the world will not give peace to a man's soul only in Christ Jesus the Bible quite clearly states it and the word of God never changes that the pleasures of this world are pleasures indeed and I've known that in the past the pleasures of this world are pleasures indeed but they're only for a season they'll catch up with you eventually they'll bite you eventually all of us who have been had problems with alcohol and cigarettes and all the other stuff that, that that would kill your body, they catch up with you eventually. And they make an end to you. The only way we can do it is to hand it over to Jesus. So calling together his friends and Zeresh his wife, this is Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the way the kings had honored him, and how he had elevated him above The other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. What a dreadful way to live your life, and yet there are so many people that do it. They're so hung up on unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a cancer of the soul. It eats you from the inside out. You know, you'll always know when you've got a situation in your life where there's unforgiveness involved. Because as soon as anybody mentions their name, the bile starts to rise. You think to yourself, oh, I've forgiven them, I'm a Christian, I've sorted it out, I don't hold any grudges. And then somebody says... know so and so and you think so and so you laugh because it's true we've not really forgiven them we think we have forgiveness takes a while forgiveness takes a lot of prayer sometimes it might even take a lot of prayer and fasting because there are people in this world who maybe have really really hurt us just the situation we have and Israel and Gaza, just the same situation as we have in Syria and Iraq. How do you forgive someone who's killed someone close to you? Only in Christ Jesus. The only way that Arab and Jew are coming together in the Middle East at the present time is when they're all becoming Christians. When they're all accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. And that is the only way forward. Because He is the only one. We may not see that unforgiveness in ourselves. We may think we're doing alright. Because we're like Haman. We don't recognize it. We look for men's approval and not for God's approval. And we despise other people. Don't be jealous of other people's achievements. Rejoice with them. You've done well. His wife and his Zeresh and all his friends at verse 14 said to him have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits that's like 75 feet and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself this suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up in other translations it talks about a gallows or whatever but this is really what it is this translation is probably a bit more accurate I've told you before they erected the great big pole with a pointing top and then they sat him on top of it and put heavy weights on his legs and slowly dragged him down the pole until the pole came up through his neck or his head an excruciating death they reckoned it probably took 8 or 9 hours for the person to actually die on this pole so this this is the this is the twistedness That's not only in Haman but in his family and his friends as well. This is the what has Mordecai actually done to Haman? Nothing. He has just refused to bow down to him and recognise him for, for who the king says he is. How many times will we have to suffer as Christians, now and in the future, probably in the future more than now, because we've done nothing to anyone except proclaim Christ as Lord and Saviour. How many bad reactions do you get from people because you want to bring Jesus into conversation? How many times do we get penny gospels thrown in the ground in front of us? I don't want that rubbish. People are in search of something and they're convicted when they're faced with Jesus Christ because there's that place in them that really needs God and His Spirit through Jesus Christ. His wife at verse 14, well we've done that bit with the pole. He's not happy just to put genocide in place. Haman's friends want a total humiliation and eradication of Mordecai. Mordecai becomes the target of all the hatred, all the anti-Semitism that's going on here at the, the present time. Just the same as in the present day. The land of Israel has become the target, it's become the magnifying glass for all the anti Semitism. There's a huge amount of anti Semitism even here in London, and particularly in Paris, and, and it's just it's becoming beyond, beyond a joke. It just is, uh, it's, it's, how can I say it? It's irrational, it's spiritual, in the sense that there's no real rationale behind it, there's no reason to hate the Jews. It's just a spiritual thing that the God of this world just doesn't want the Jews to exist. And we as Christians, when we stand up and say we stand with them, then we become the targets as well. So he's not just happy to have put in place that the whole of the Jews will be wiped out. Haman's friends want a total humiliation. And that night the king could not sleep, chapter 6. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the records of his reign, to be brought and read to him so the book of chronicles really if you take a literal translation of that really means a book of remembrance in other words the things that happened in the kingdom and it wouldn't be a book per se there would be a number of scrolls and they would all be kept in a specific order and and from time immemorial from the start of the Persian Empire there would be scrolls so he had asked the record of his reign so we're talking about maybe the last 15 or 16 years of the of the history of the Persian Empire but when I think of the book of remembrance I'm always encouraged by that, I don't know whether you've ever done a study on the 316's if you look at a lot of the bible books, and I'm not saying that they're God inspired because it was men that put the numbers in place but we've obviously got John 316 which is for God so loved the world etc but there's a lot of 316's and one of them is Malachi 3.16 and it says here in Malachi then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name that's you and I that's you and I And, and you know when we talk with each other we have to remember that the Lord listened and heard the Lord should be in all our conversations he's here, he's in us, he's living with us he's surrounding us, he's, he, he's here he's omnipresent and he has written a scroll in remembrance of us concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name so why could Xerxes not sleep? he never had somebody I mean, maybe it was affairs of state maybe there was something coming up that was a big problem or, but maybe he was thinking about what Esther wanted probably you know when somebody comes to, I, I mean I just I can't hack it, I can't handle it when somebody comes to me and says I want to talk to you about something I'll talk to you about it tomorrow <laughs> and then I spend a night rolling around in bed thinking "Well, what, what is all this about what, what do they want to talk about is it this, is it that, is it the next thing and you know I think here, here's the wisdom that God put into Esther she teased the king She come back tomorrow I'll tell you what it's all about and so he couldn't sleep when people tell you a little bit and not the whole story you sometimes lose sleep over it and we do, we laugh about it because we know it's true we get a bit cagey about it In verse 2, it was found recorded, this is in the book of remembrance, or the book of the Chronicles of Persia, that Mordecai had exposed Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received from this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Here's Xerxes, the king, the commander of a huge empire. And he couldn't command 10 minutes of sleep. What do you do when you don't sleep? Do you go up and make a cup of tea? Or pace around? Or maybe you read a book? Or maybe you go and watch some television? Or maybe you nudge the person next to you and say, Wake up, I can't sleep. <laughs> Keep me company. But here you are. Of all the books, I could say this like Humphrey Bogart, of all the books in all the world, in the king's library, this scroll was chosen. Of all the pages in this scroll, this page was chosen. God at work for his people. There was no reward given to Mordecai at all. The king was up sleepless and We've got to presume that just at this point in time it was very early in the morning. And the king said at verse 4 Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. So Haman just happened to be there. It probably was very early in the morning if the king was lacking sleep. But you know, see when I look back at this I've made some notes here on it. Looking back to the start of the book it was not luck that the king got drunk we are back to chapter 1 it was not luck that Queen Vashti refused to appear naked before the king and all his drunken rabble it was not luck that Esther was chosen as queen it was not luck that at the time of this conspiracy that Mordecai went unrewarded it was not luck that that night the king couldn't sleep it was not luck that the correct book was opened at the correct page. It was not luck that Haman turned up at the court just at that point in time. This was all God's plan from the beginning. Nobody can thwart it. So his attendants, the king's attendants answered at verse 5, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honour now you can imagine what went through Haman's mind at this point in time the bohied that he is this must be me this must be me the king's talking about because of his invites to Esther's feasts Haman thought he was right up there in the list of great guys in the king's eyes deception's a bad thing there's only one thing worse than deception and that's self-deception deception Haman had some great, wonderful, inflated opinion of himself that nobody else could see apart from himself and, of course, his wife and his friends. We need to be a people as well that tell each other the truth. We can't be sycophants. We can't be people that just are yes-men and nodding donkeys. When we see something that's wrong or somebody's stepped out of line, and say, oh, settle down, son. Keep your feet in the ground. Don't think too highly of yourself. Certainly in the west of Scotland, it's not a place to come if you want to boast about yourself because the people in west of Scotland tend to be a wee bit self-deprecating in that sense. They'll put you down where you deserve to be. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would honour rather than me? So he answered the king, for the man, at verse 7, for the man the king delights to honour, Have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honour and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Do you notice here what Haman asks for? Nothing. He asks for the acclamation amen. A royal robe that the king wore and a horse that the king has ridden and put a crown in the horse's head and lead it through the streets. I mean this is just this is just the froth and bubble of the world. This is the way men like to be treated. This is the way this is the way men treat each other. They elevate people to this position and then all of a sudden they fall off their pedestal and they find it. Men are frail after all. And you know, we've seen with the sort of celebrity culture that's developed over this last 10, 20 years, we'll raise these people, to elevate these people to this celebrity place where they can do no wrong. We want to imitate them. We want to look like them and all the rest of it. And then when they fall from grace, we are the first howling wolves to tear them apart. The people who have elevated them are the ones who are the quickest to put their teeth into them. So Haman majors on the frivolous things, seeking all the frothy worldly acclamation. Because what? Because he thinks all this will be for him. This, I'm the guy the king wants to honour. Go at once, says the king at verse 10. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate do not neglect anything you have recommended he wanted to be accepted in the king's sight well he was the king asked him for his advice and the king said absolutely just everything that you advise Haman I think is wonderful just you go and do it for Mordecai the Jew you know when I looked at this bit I thought you know the cowardly self-centered nature that shines through in Haman he was not even prepared to, to question the decision. He just went away and did it. Mordecai the Jew. The king's mind seems to change here. If this Jew truly rescued me from being assassinated, then these Jews can't be bad after all. I wonder what Haman was on about, wanting to eradicate all these people who were the Jews so Haman got the robe at verse 11 in the horse, he robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets I wonder if Mordecai could keep his face straight you know he's standing there and this guy's putting a robe on him and, and putting a wait a minute what's going on because Mordecai at this point in time if we remember what was he wearing sackcloth and ashes eh? That that's the kind of state that we were in before Jesus found us we might not have recognised it because we We're self deceivers. We tend not to look at ourselves and see ourselves the way we should. But really, before we knew Jesus, I know that before I knew Jesus, that's the way I was. My soul was in sackcloth and ashes. It was just nothing could satisfy it. Yet when Jesus finds you, what does he do? He puts on a royal robe and he leads you in the paths of righteousness, he leads you beside the still waters. So Haman got the robe and put it on him. And Haman must lead the praise for Mordecai. The final humiliation was for Haman to honor Mordecai. Humiliation is only truly humiliation when it's done in public. I mean anything else, but out of his own mouth, Haman had proclaimed his own humiliation. People have often asked me What's the difference between humbling and humiliation? Humbling is an act of grace. Humiliation is an act of vengeance. God is not in the the business of humiliating you. He's in the business of humbling you through His God-given grace. And when you see that grace in action, when you feel that humbling in your life, it becomes a thankful thing, not a vengeful thing. Humiliation is the opposite of that. Humiliation is generally done out of vengeance. I'll sort you. The next time I get my chance, the wheel will turn. That's when this unforgiveness and bitterness in our spirit, we really, really, really have to pray hard that God will remove it from us verse 12, Afterward Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared so Haman rushes home interesting here that Mordecai takes no cognizance of the fact that Haman's honoured him or the king's honoured him he just gives back to what he was doing he was at the king's gate waiting for people to, 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 to seek an audience or to give advice or, or, or to look up the books of the, the law or whatever he, that, was, that, was, that was Mordecai's job he, wasn't, he didn't keep the robe on or stay on the horse and troop around the city saying look at me I'm the boy eh? he went back to what he was doing he was honoured by men but he knew what the honour of men was and he knew who it was that had brought the honour and he didn't really particularly appreciate it Haman went home with his head covered that was a sign of mourning in those days and not mourning just in a, in a general sense, it was as almost as if you had lost a close family member that's what you did, you, you covered your head and, and head down but the one thing that did die today was Haman's pride his pride had been shot a mortal blow pridefulness pridefulness now listen to this one pridefulness is the opposite of godliness pridefulness feeds the man godliness feeds the spirit and we have to be people that always look to have our spirits fed and it's a trap we often fall into It's a trap that we often fall into that we become proud and a bit puffed up about something that we think we've done and we forget that it's God that does things through us and nothing else. How many times have we said this to ourselves and I ask you this, I don't want hands up or anything. I can't ask for prayer about what's happening in my life. People will think I'm weak and my pride won't let me. that's when you need to ask God to give you people to pray with you the Bible says confess your sins to one another and that doesn't mean you have to come out here and say oh I've done this but God will give you somebody if that's what it's to be somebody close somebody who has your confidence somebody who will be discreet somebody to whom you can come and say look I'm having a hard time with this can you pray for me not a prideful way. Pride gets put on the side. But in a humble way. His wife and his advisors, Haman's wife and advisors, can see the writing on the wall, literally here. And before Haman can make an exit, because I would have thought at this point in time, Haman's ready for a runner. He saw this whole thing is just suddenly turning against me. And do you see what's happening here? Before Esther has even been able to bring her petition before the king, God has turned the wheel. Haman is already in a bad place. And before he can make a run for it, they stand up. The eunuchs come and take him to go to Esther's, uh, to go to Esther's feast. The way the text is constructed here tells us that Haman was either late for this feast or he was reluctant to go or maybe both. And one thing I would like to say here this morning is if if like Haman you stand against the Jews God will eventually bring you to account and this is about to happen for Haman. Even when things go against you remember that God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. If Esther had looked at all the circumstances in her life as individual circumstances she may have thought this is a calamity this is going nowhere. But when you bring them all together they all work together for good for her and for the Jewish people. So the circumstances in your life guys when you look at them separately they may look bad but when we trust God he will bring all the circumstances together for good. So that's where we need to put our trust today. Be like Esther. Take that step of faith. Allow God to make that difference in your life. Trust him with the things that concern you the things that bother you the things that upset you the things that maybe you need prayer about and you're frightened to ask. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word to Lord. We thank you that in all circumstances, Lord, we see your hand at work. Although your name's never mentioned here, Lord. And not even prayer or praise, nothing's mentioned. And yet, God, in the background, you are working away all the time. And Lord, I'm encouraged by that. That in my life and in the life of the fellowship here, no matter what circumstances come against us, Father, no matter what seems to be wrong, you will bring all things together for good for those that love you and called according to your purpose. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you this day. Be with us in all that we do today and in this coming week until we meet again. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.